having a good morning so far? Yes. Weekend's been good so far? Good, good. We're talking this morning about staying anchored, and we're in the, the book of Hebrews again. And I want you guys to realize this. Pastor Tom did a great job last week of telling us why we should be anchored, of who Jesus actually is, right? We know that he is not just the Son of God. He actually is God. That whole Trinity thing that just plays with our minds that we're never going to really understand until we get to heaven, right? Like, he is one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you try to figure it out and use all the different analogies, you know, like the egg. He's like the shell, the yolk, and the white. Oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. No, he's like water. He's like water, vapor, ice, three in one. Oh, okay, it kind of makes We're still never going to really, really understand that until we get to heaven, but it's an incredible concept. But what Tom said last week was, Jesus actually is God. He is worthy. Remember one of the things he suggested is see him as God, see him as high priest, as Lord, as Savior, as friend. Remember one of the actions he told us to do? Get on your face into the carpet, right? Sometime this week to remind yourself the proper position we should have, that he is our everything. He's bigger, he's better, he is worthy of everything. Just as a posture to remind us that he is our king and to go face down on the carpet. I love that. I did that this week. I don't know if you guys did that, but it's a good reminder that that Jesus is everything, right? So the book of Hebrews is about the fact that Jesus is everything. Now in the book of Hebrews, as we get into it the next few weeks, there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. As the writer is, is writing and he's saying, hey, look, you guys used to be caught up in the old system of religion, Old Testament and all that. God invented a better way. He said that wasn't working so good. Not because he's a bad God and he makes mistakes, but because the agreement of the law, God's law, and his people, if they keep it, they would be blessed. It wasn't working because we couldn't keep the law. We were having a hard time living up to the standard to have relationship with God. So he goes, let me do something even better. Let me provide a once and for all sacrifice of sins, atonement. My own son is going to come to this earth. He's going to teach you. He's going to prove that he is the son of God, that he is God. And he's going to go to that cross for all that would believe in him. So now the old system is obsolete. This is the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament. But it's fulfilled in Jesus, and this new way is better. If we hold on to Jesus above all else, then everything is going to work in life, and we're going to continue to have a relationship with God. So in knowing all of this, the author of Hebrews gives five warnings on why we should stay anchored to Jesus Christ, why we should believe God's plans are the best plans for our life. And the first one we're talking about here today, if you look at your notes, I put tried and true. The first warning is actually saying this. Pay attention to the truth you know about Jesus, or else you will drift away. And if you drift away, there are consequences. So basically, this first warning is, don't drift. And a lot of us go, oh, yeah, that's a a minor one. That's not a big deal. And we don't think, oh, I'm not going to drift away. I'm, I'm living a good life. I'm holding on to God. He's not talking about this. He's not talking about outwardly rejecting the message of the gospel in Jesus. Like, we can just go, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. What he's talking about is those of us that feel like, I got a good walk with the Lord. I'm trying to live according to the Bible and what God wants. I'm, I'm, I'm communing with him. But it's somewhere along the, the way, you let one little area of your life connected to God, you kind of let go of the anchor rope, just in one area. And then that little area kind of leads to another area. And what it is, is this slow, gradual progression of letting go and drifting away from the truth you know. And you wake up one day and you go, my life's a mess. What's going on? Where's God? Try to blame everybody else. And the reality is, you just kind of slowly begin to let go of the rope and drift away. How many of you guys can relate to that? Is that ever you? Like you feel, okay, it's something we can all deal with and and relate to. And um, 
in my own life. This is so true. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter if I've been a Christian for how many years. I'm still a human being that struggles with the flesh. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior every single day. And I realized that a couple weeks ago is... I had started having nightmares. One night, I just had these crazy nightmares, the kind of nightmares that are so vivid, you wake up like just sweating and freaked out, and you're like, ah, and you realize, wait, where am I? You know, I'm in bed, what's going on? But it rattles you super hard, and you have a hard time going back to sleep. Anybody ever have those kind of nightmares? It's just like, oh, it's so irritating. And the next day, I'm tired all day. I got that little nightmare in the back of my head, like fear, but I'm, I'm tired, which makes me grumpy, and I'm a little unfocused, and I'm not, I'm not good for anything. Well, then the next night, it happens again. And every one of these nightmares I'm having is like immediate danger to my family, to my wife and my kids or myself or all of us all together. Every single one. Well, it repeats for two weeks. Every single night, I'm waking up, freaking out. I'm always got to go save my family or we're just about to get killed. I mean, car accidents, murderers coming out. Just like the kind of stuff you don't want at all. But here's, here's what I realized in that. This is a crazy lesson. It took me two whole weeks of those nightmares every night. That's not normal. I barely dream and remember any dreams. So I'm thinking, this is something spiritual. This is something crazy. It took me two whole weeks of that before I kind of snapped out of it and said, hey, maybe I should pray about this. <laughs> I've been saved since I was like a little kid, walking with the Lord forever, a pastor. And it literally took me two whole weeks before I was like talking to my wife about it. She goes, you get prayer on that? I go, well, I uh, no. <laughs> she goes, you should go talk to the prayer team. Go talk to people that, that can pray over you. And I, and I did. And I went and I talked to, to Auntie Ludi, actually. She's a great covering, you know. She, she will, if you ask her to pray for you, she will pray for you, right? She's known me most of my life. It's Pastor Tom's mom. And she, she came to me and she sought the Lord on it. She prayed for me and she sought the Lord and God gave her some words and she told me some things that I ought to do in my own life to pray into and whatnot. And guess what? When I got help, when I realigned my life back to the things of God, everything worked out. The nightmares went away. I have peace again. Everything's good in life. But here's the lesson to me. You can be a Christian your whole life and be as strong as you can to God and be, be preaching messages and be living your life all good. But all it takes is one little area of your life that you just kind of let drift away. Oh, I don't, just nightmares. I'll get over it. They'll go away. They'll go away sooner or later. But I was dealing with the consequences of letting one little area just drift away. Now, it seems like silly, like, oh, Pastor Carl, that's, that's minor, that's small. Well, there's a lot of other things that we do in life that can cause us to drift away. But the small things turn into the big things if we let go of the rope. If we begin to allow that to happen, like suddenly you're just not reading your Bible like you used to. And then you're going, I don't have any answers in life. What's going on? And, and, and you, you start to fall out of fellowship with other Christians. And, and it begins to be a big picture, then one day you realize, I haven't been to church, I haven't read my Bible, I haven't even prayed in years. And you look at your life and your track record and you go, I didn't need all of that bad stuff to happen in my life. I could have avoided that. What happened? And you didn't one day just decide to run away from God. He just drifted. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, first warning, you know the truth about Jesus. He's your Lord, your Savior, your, your high priest, your king. Hold on to that truth. Don't drift away, because if you do, there's consequences. See, one of the common things that we find in marriage, and you know, and I talk to people or try to counsel them about marriage and just kind of push them back to God, one of the most common things people say is, not that there's anything necessarily bad or wrong with each other, it's just, we just kind of drifted apart. 
You guys ever heard that one before? Well, I don't know what happened. We just drifted apart. Now we don't really have love for each other. We don't see eye to eye. And we just, we drifted apart. It's time to get a divorce. And I'm thinking, you can't just blame drifting apart. See, it's up to us to work at staying together so we don't drift apart. What I, what I realize is, even with my walk with God, is the reason I drift is because I'm not paying attention and I'm not intentionally trying to hold on to that rope. Are you guys hearing me? That we can say, I have Jesus, he's all good. But we just slowly start to let stuff go. And so the author's saying, be careful. Because even in the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5, there's a reminder he, he makes that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That means you don't drift apart. Somebody intentionally lets go of the rope and drifts. And here's the deal. God's not going to leave us or forsake us. That means that anchor holds strong. I'm the one that let go of the rope. I'm the one that allowed myself to drift. And you can always be like, well, this, this thing's okay, but maybe there's something else better over there. And you know what? I always say the grass is greener where you water it, not on the other side. It's where you water, but it applies to this. My anchor is only as strong as the grip that I have on the line. If I let go, the anchor's still strong, but I'm the one that's messed up. And in my life, the times that I've gone through the hardest stuff and, and where I know it's my own consequences, it's because somewhere along the way, I began to drift away from God. And I get myself into trouble. Now, there's hard times that I go through that are very difficult where I am holding onto the anchor and I make it through those times. No problem. I look back at my life. Oh, I went through some stuff, but I was holding on to God. But there's some times when I went through some stuff that was my bad. I let go, and I just drifted. I didn't mean to. Good intentions. My faith is so strong, but my actions don't live up to my faith. What that is, it's drifting. So what we're going to talk about this morning is just paying attention to the truth that we have in our lives. Look at the proof that's in our lives and not drifting away. And here's a first warning. It's in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And look at verse 1. It starts off, and it says, so we must listen very carefully. Other Bible translations might say, pay more attention. Listen carefully. Pay attention to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Pay attention to the truth that is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the means of salvation. He is our anchor in life. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to, as these people that were hearing this letter were looking back and going, but religion was kind of cool. Doing it on my own way, my own strength was kind of good. And he's going, no, don't lose sight of the fact that you have one anchor. Your one anchor is Jesus Christ. Say, hold on to that truth no matter what, or you'll drift. And by drift, the word literally means flowing or floating past something. I can think of times that I go surfing and there are strong rip currents that are going out there in the ocean. And if you're not constantly like going out, sitting, looking at the waves, but you're not constantly looking back at the beach for like a landmark, like, oh, there's the house I need to be in front of, or there's the, the person on the green towel, or that, those two palm trees, I need to stay in front of them. If you just go out to the ocean and you go out to enjoy the waves and you, you forget to pay attention to where you are, there's sometimes currents that will just carry you down the beach and without your, your knowing about it because you don't feel like it as you're in there. But literally, sometimes I've surfed in California, the rip is so strong, like within five minutes, you're like a quarter mile down the beach. I'm not even joking. It's like you constantly have to paddle out. You're in the waves. You're looking back at shore and sometimes you're just paddling this way, parallel to the shore, just to stay in that right place so you don't go, end up somewhere super far down the beach. And then you got this long walk all the way back and you drifted out of the zone. Well, here's what the, the writer is saying is, pay attention because you could slip and it's a long walk back to where you need to be. And you might have to deal with some troubles along the way. So he's saying, watch out, don't drift, pay attention to the truth. And by doing so, I think we got to 
We got to be purposeful. We got to be intentional. There's a, a friend that I've been hanging out with a lot recently. One of my one of my best friends from life, but from 20 years ago or so, or however, 25 plus years ago, back in high school, I was really tight friends with this guy. We went to church together. We um, slept over each other's houses. We went surfing all the time. We shared an interest in lo- uh, of uh, music, a love for music, love for cars, and just all this. I was just just a really good brother, you know, just a really good friend. We went through some stuff in, in life together. His mom passed away, and we went, I walked through that with him, and just a lot of stuff. And then the years kind of progressed, and I went off to the mainland. I went to Bible college, and he, he worked over here in, in Hawaii, and he started his career and everything. And for whatever reason, as time does to people, we just drift apart, right? We forget to call. We forget to write. We forget to stay in touch. And the years have gone by, and I moved back, and I've been back in Hawaii now for, I don't know, 12 years or so. And we've been on the same island, and we just haven't connected for no other reason than we just we didn't make effort to do it. We're intentional. And we both were missing each other, but we just didn't really connect. And recently, through the love of body surfing, it's gotten us back together. We have these, like, the days, hey, I'm, I'm heading to Makapu right now, early morning, right? You, you game? I'm like, he lives on the other side of the island. I live over here. He's like, you, you going? You going? I'm like, no, I'm too tired. He's like, get out of bed. Come on, do it. I'm like, okay, so he'll force me. So we go, and, like, like he usually rides a bodyboard, or he mountain bikes, he does this stuff, and I surf. So bodyboarding is this kind of this great equalizer where we both meet in the water, and we both just get beat up by the waves, right? And we have this good time doing it, and we're just loving it. But it's building this relationship within us again after all these years. And what we're finding, both of us, we're starting to talk and talk about it is like, wh- why did we ever let go? Why did we not stay in touch? I don't know. Why, why did you not call me? Hey, why did you not call me? I don't know. We just drifted apart. But we're, what we're trying to do is as we realize, man, there's been 20-something plus years that we've missed out on laughing and on sharing good times and on this godly, solid, just friendship that we had. We missed out on all of that. There's consequences. But praise God for second chances that we get the chance to rebuild this relationship again. And we're having a good time. And now he's meeting my kids and we're bringing my kids into the picture and we're just, we're beginning to share life again. And I hope it just gets stronger and stronger. But here's the author of, of this book who's saying, why miss out on all the blessings of God by drifting away? If you hold on to them, there's going to be all of these years of your life that have been good years instead of risking the hardship of what life could do to you out there. I think we have to be intentional. I've been intentional in texting my friend, and he's calling me, but we're making a go at it. It's hard, but we're intentional about it. And I think to, to hold on to your anchor in, in life, you've got to structure your entire life around Jesus Christ. You have to structure your entire life around Jesus Christ. I read in the Psalms, and I love the Psalms because a lot of them are written by David, right? King David, who was also the shepherd boy David, who was cocky enough, not cocky, but confident enough in his God that he could take on a nine-foot-tall giant, right, of the Philistines, Goliath, with a slingshot and a couple rocks. Can you imagine little shepherd boy going out there? And he's going, what, everybody, the whole army scared of this guy? I'll just pick the right rocks, and I got a slingshot. It's all good, right? I'm taking him down. And he took him down. Why? Because he said, my God will give me victory. My God is bigger than you. How dare you taunt my God? He's got my back, and you're going down. And you instantly fall in love with this young shepherd boy, David, who grows up to be this this honorable man who becomes the greatest king of, of Israel, who did all this great stuff. And then you see, he blows it. He's human. He messes up with Bathsheba. 
But then he repents. He comes back to the heart of God. And all these hundreds of years later in the book of Acts, it actually, God calls David a man after his own heart. So I love David. I love the Psalms. I love everything about him. He's passionate. He's real. So there's this Psalm in verse 20, in Psalm 27, verse four, that I think is so cool that David said, this is the most important thing in my life, structuring my life around God. So I don't drift away. Here's what he says, Psalm 27, four. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the, the thing that I seek most, here it is, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. The one thing he wants is to live in the house of the Lord. And see, here's, here's what I think. If I bring my whole life structured around my anchor, Jesus Christ, if I bring everything that I do in life I still do it, but I do it under the protection and the submission to God, under his house, under his roof, under his forgiveness, under his love, under his guidance, under his wisdom. If everything that I do comes under him, then everything works out okay. That's why David says, I just want my whole life to be lived in your house, God. Because if I structure my life around you, then I'm good. Then there's no chance of drifting because you're within the confines of Jesus. Everything in your life is centered around him. And I, and I, I argue, maybe not argue, but I discuss with people sometimes who say, but that's so restrictive. Oh, you didn't get to be your own person. Your, your Christianity, your faith is, you got to be just, just so caught up in this prison to your God. I said, but if you really understand, it's not a prison. It's actually a blessing. I have freedom to live my life. As long as it's under his roof, everything works out. It's like this. God says, hey, you live in my house. You can rearrange the furniture all you want. You can paint the walls all you want. You can have a pet. You can do whatever you want. So long as you're living in my house under my roof. Does that make sense? And when you do that, I still have freedom to make choices and do everything I, I, I want to do. But if it's under his house rules and it's anchored to him, then and I'm not outside trying to build my own house and do all of this stuff, then everything will work out. Here's David that's just passionate and he goes, God, I get it. If everything in my life is centered around you and I'm anchored to you, then everything's going to work. I'm not going to drift away. And so I believe we need to be intentional about that with our money, with our emotions, with our relationships, with our jobs, with our school, all the stuff that we have. God, I need to hold on and be, and be anchored and connected to you, then I'm not going to drift into bad circumstances. But um, the second thing I see here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, is the author gives a good, um, good argument for why we ought to hold on, why he's given us some, some solid facts that God's plans are tried and true. Here's why we should hold on and not drift. Here's some proof, by the way, that God's plans are tried and true. And he goes into verses 2 and 3, and I'm going to read them in a minute. But I think about this. Is God's plans tried and true for me? Is Jesus the anchor of my life? How do I know he's the only way? How do I know that I shouldn't have some options on my own to do some things on my own? How do I know that he's true? Because there's a lot of things in life that let me down. There's a lot of things in my life that are tried and untrue, right? The other day I woke up, um, Friday morning I believe it was, and I have, I have split ACs in my house. Does anybody have air conditioning in your house, the split ACs? Can I just say, that's a little slice of heaven right there. And this past month, when it's been like 80, 90 degrees and humid and everything, I turn those babies on at night, and everyone in our house is like, oh, we're snoring. We're like in good sleep heaven, right? It's something we invested in years ago. We got like this loan, and we did all this, and we use those things, and we love those things. And we've had them in our house for like 8, 10 years. I don't know. They never let me down. But Friday morning, 
my air conditioning let me down. I went into my daughter's room and I'm wondering why the pump is making noise. I open up her closet. I look inside. There's some little tube that's hanging and it's just pouring water straight into her closet, just all over her clothes, over everything like that. And I'm just thinking, air conditioner, you're not supposed to let me down. You're good. You, you give me benefits. You cool me, my body. You, why would you let me down? And I'm a little bit disturbed because this thing was not proven to be tried and true. For 10 years, you were great. And now I'm really mad at you. And now I want to kick a hole in the wall. I want to do something. I'm mad. And so on top of that, my air conditioning let me down. On top of that, I dropped my kids off at school. I got to go to the store. I got to get buckets. I got to clean all of this stuff up. Then I'm trying to mail my notes in so they can get printed and they can put them on the screen for you and all of this stuff. Mr. Internet goes down. He lets me down. So now I've got technology, air conditioning, let me down. Now I've got internet. I can't email my... I have to drive manually up to the office and print it out and give it to them. And my, my day is just going haywire. My son, um, he's surfing. He, he, someone runs into his board, puts a huge hole in it, like a long one. Hey, Dad, um, you got to fix my board because I need to surf in a contest tomorrow. I'm like, what? My son let me down. Like, no, son. He goes, no, the guy at the beach ran into me. I don't care. I feel really let down right now. I'm feeling really mad and feeling like, you know what, God? All of these things that I hold on to, they're, they're not perfect. And yet God is saying in Hebrews, but I am perfect and I'm not going to let you down. There's stuff that you can't help and it's going gonna, it's gonna to let you down. And so you don't know if, if you can put your faith in that. I don't know about my air conditioning. I don't know if I can put my full faith in that. It broke down on me. My internet? Oh, I don't know. I got, always have a backup plan like this. Look what I got this morning because guess what? Friday night, my iPad let me down. Down. So I had to print the notes out. I had to go old school. Paper, what is this? <laughs> I have this just in case. Here's the deal. Stuff in life is going to let you down. Jesus will not. Jesus will not. And the writer of Hebrews proves it by saying this. He said, for the message that God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. Now here's a couple ways that he's going to prove to us that holding on to Jesus, God's plan for us, salvation through Jesus Christ, that it's a tried and true fact that has stood the test of time. He first of all mentions angels and the law. And this takes us back to a verse in Galatians 3.19 that mentions this. What is he saying about the angels, the message they delivered has always stood firm. Well, Paul writes in Galatians 3.19, he talks about the law. He says, why then was the law given? The Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. Well, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, only until Jesus. See, God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was a mediator between God and the people. Here's what he's saying right here as the Hebrew writer is saying, the message God delivered through angels has stood the test of time. Because the Hebrew people believed that when the law of the Lord came from God to Moses, that it was actually delivered through angels. They make reference of it in Galatians. They make reference of it in Hebrews. In the original text in the Old Testament, you just read that God gave the law to Moses. But these guys knew something maybe that we didn't. They clarified it and they mentioned it twice, that there's actually some angels involved. And not that the big deal is around the angels. God still gave the law. He just used angels to do it. But here's the point that I'm getting at so I don't lose you here. God has given us a reason to put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ so that he's proven and true. And here's what he's saying is, 
the law that came through the angels to Moses and all the Old Testament law, it proved itself to be true. Why? Because God said, you obey these commands, your life will go well. You disobey them, you drift, you get out on your own, there's going to be consequences. And he's, here's what he's saying. The first part of truth is that you know that all throughout the Old Testament, God did what he said he would do. And if God made a promise, he kept the promise. You live according to God's promises, life works. You get outside of them, life doesn't work. So he's given proof. Hey, you ever read the Bible? The Bible is not just to inspire you and to motivate you and encourage you, but it's also a reminder that God never lied all throughout those thousands of years. God has never lied. God, when God says something is worth holding on to, it's worth holding on to. So we read the Bible that encourages and reminds us that God is good. But secondly, he goes on and says in verse 3, so what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation, if we drift away from it, that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? So now he's talking about we have proof that God is good and this plan is worth holding on to. Because of the Old Testament law, God never broke his promise. Because of Jesus showed up, fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, he proved that he is true, and then he backed it up with miracles. Remember the time he fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, with one little kid who brought some fish and loaves? And you go, that's crazy. God proved that he is a miracle, that Jesus did miracles. He walked on water. He resurrected from the dead. He healed people from, from physical stuff, from demonic oppression, from, from all kinds kinds of stuff. You have the Old Testament that proved true. You have Jesus showing up on the scene who goes, look, I'm the man. I am the Messiah. I proved it with all of my miracles. And then furthermore, it says, and then he delivered it to us by those who heard him speak. What he's talking about there is he's talking about eyewitnesses. Now put your mind in the mindset of the Hebrew people who are getting this letter written to them. It's only been 30 to 35 years since Jesus walked the planet. And then he died, resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. It's only been 30 to 35 years. The people receiving this message are going, we know personally some of our friends that were eyewitnesses that could give us proof that Jesus is the real deal and we should hang on to this, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Some of our personal friends. This is a plea for us today to make sure that we have Christian friends in our lives. You know why? A lot of the proof that we need to hold on to Jesus comes through the lives of people sitting around you right now. When you're feeling like drifting away, you look around you, you talk to people, and you realize, oh, that guy has such a crazy testimony. He used to be super bad like this. Jesus got a hold of his life, and now he's this person. Well, there's proof that God is real and he's worth holding on to. Are you guys hearing me? The reason all of you guys are sitting here today is because each of you have a God story in life because God has done something and we need to remind ourselves that we're surrounded by walking miracles and by walking testimonies. And that one of my friends who is an eyewitness to Jesus, like, like if I go, oh, I don't know if God is really real, but then this is my friend who I know and I trust and it happened in his life that's real, that proves that I need to hold on to Jesus and not drift away. I can read the Bible and get that. I see that in the Old Testament. I see that in the New Testament with Jesus. But I got friends. One of my friends texted me the other day. He's been experiencing a different walk in his Christian life in the past couple years. God recently gave him the gift of healing. He goes around, he prayed his whole life, and he would have like varied results, like God would show up when God would show up, and he'd leave it up to him. But as of late, he's been having supernatural experiences where he's praying for deaf people, blind people, and stuff is it's coming back. They can see again. They can hear, I mean, heavy-duty stuff. Praying for people to be healed of all kinds of stuff. Stuff's happening. 
Recently, he's going through rough times in life. God's going, not giving him as many opportunities to pray for people. And he's going, it's because I need to strengthen my own personal life. I've got some stuff in my personal life that, that there's some hurt and I need to get healed. But God gave him the opportunity the other day. He's in the, the, the parking lot of a shopping center or a store or something, apparently. And he's with someone and, and uh, someone goes, hey, man, you still, you still got the gift of healing? You still been experiencing that? And he goes, oh, not so much lately. He goes, hey, my friend that's not here with us right now, she's far away, wherever she's at, she's dealing with um, thyroid cancer and it's pretty bad and the report is grim and she's, she's, she's struggling, she's dealing with cancer right now. Could you pray for her? And he goes, sure, if God's given me an opportunity, if this is a gift I have, whatever, I, all I can do is ask, the results are up to God. So he goes, can, so he's talking to his friend in the parking lot, he goes, can I call this person right now and you could pray for her over the phone? And he goes, sure, it's worth a try, why not? God can work, you know, over the miles or whatever. So he, he calls the girl and he goes, hey, here, talk to my friend. And so my friend gets on the phone and he goes, yeah, you're dealing with this, okay? He just claims healing. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray for you to heal this person, you know, whatever. On the phone, thank you, thank you so much. I'm just looking for any prayer support I can get. Okay, it's all cool. He says, days later, he gets a text that said, hey, this is so-and-so. Do you remember me? You prayed for me on the phone. I just got back from my endocrinologist. They don't know what happened. They're freaking out. My cancer is completely gone. They don't know how to explain it. And she writes... She writes, I know how to explain it. I told them, it's the power of God. I got prayer, and God showed up. And he, she said, they don't know what to do with that. But he was encouraged to realize, wow, this really, really happened. See, I would have a tendency to say, uh, I'm skeptical. I don't know if I believe that story. Show me your doctors. Who is this person that prayed for you? But here's the problem. That person that's telling me that story, I know. I've grown up with this guy. I know he's not lying. He's not making it up. There's an eyewitness report that God is moving in this person's life, who I know is not a weirdo, and he's not lying. He's not, he's not like, you know, making up the, the crazy conspiracy theories. It literally happened. So here's the thing that the writer is trying to say here. We have proof. Take a look at the, the history of what the angels and Moses and the law speaks of. God never let us down in the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes along. He backed up who he was by doing all the miracles. Not only does Jesus back up, and he fulfilled over 400 prophecies in his birth, his life, and his death. No one could have done that. Jesus is the real deal. You have proof that you should hold on to God. And thirdly, what about the eyewitnesses that, have, that Jesus has done stuff in their lives? Hold on to that. So for us, it's like remembering these things and holding on to them. But here's the best and last proof that the author gives in this warning of why we should hold on and not drift away. It comes to us in our personal anchor. And here's what it says in verse 4. It says, And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. He says, you have the angels in the Old Testament. You have Jesus coming along in the New Testament. You have eyewitnesses. You've seen it in other people's lives. But then he goes this. What about what the Holy Spirit has done in your own life? See, when every one of us come to church here, we're here seeking God because we know he's real because we have a personal experience. Somewhere along the line, we have a God story. Or many of us, we have hundreds of God stories that God is real. And so when you have a, you have a, a, a potential problem of feeling the urge to drift away and let go of God a little bit. He's saying, remind yourself that the Holy Spirit does miracles, that he works in giftings and in power in your very life. Would you remember that? 
I, I write down all the stuff that God gives me, all the different things that he's done in my life. I try to journal them. I, try to, I have all these old journal, these composition books, you know, that I filled from, from high school days of different things God has done. I prayed for this, and here's how God did it. Amazing kind of God stories in my life. And I have to remind myself, he's worth holding on to. See, there's times when I'm kind of like, God, where are you? I'm just going to let go of the rope because I don't really feel you. I don't see you. And I go and I bust out one of those old books. And you know what I call those old journals? My faith booster journals. Or my faith booster files of digital typing in on my phone. Because I hardly write anymore, right? Because I don't even know how. Paper is so old school, right? (laughs) Pencils are so yesterday. I have a phone now. I have a computer. But I have all these files that I go to when I have a tendency to drift. Because let me tell you this. When my technology let me down the other day, my internet, my air conditioning, my son's surfboard, my, my wife's car battery this morning. I can't make it to church. My battery's dead. I'm like, ah, when that stuff lets me down and it proves untrue and I feel like drifting, I remember all the ways that God still holds on to me and he comes through for me in my life. And I go, I don't need to drift. I don't care how I might feel. I might feel mad right now. I might feel distracted or confused. Why is this not happening? I want to let go of the rope so bad. You know, there's times in my life I don't want to be a Christian. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I can say that. There's times I don't want to be. There's just like times in my life I don't like my kids, right? I don't like my wife because I am self-centered. Things aren't going my way, and I just don't feel like having a relationship with any of them. But you know what I realize in those times is that's when I need them the most. It's not about wants all the time. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my circumstances. My anchor is tried and true. He's proven himself. And when I bust out those old files of faith booster books and files on my phone, I realize... God, you've never let me down. And right now I feel like I don't want you, but the truth is I need you more than ever because you are tried and true in my life and I'm going to hold on to you. Amen? Amen. See, are you keeping journals like that? Do you keep those files? It's a, there's a reason I think that we ought to do that because when you're not looking and when I'm not feeling good and when, when, you know, how many of you guys have kids? And sometimes, let's be true, you just don't like them. <laughs> Come on. Oh, yeah, right. Only me. Yeah, like, yeah, right. If I went to your house at 8 o'clock tomorrow night when your kid is having a meltdown, hey, how's your, how is your love for your kid right now? Uh, right? There's times we don't like them. But you know what? There's times they don't like me. But here's what I do in those times that are rough besides prayer. I have this stack of stuff on my night table that is all cards and letters and pictures that my kids have drawn for me and things they've done and letters right in my little bedside table. I've got about three or four incredible letters and cards that my wife has written for me. And whenever I start to get into that selfish mode of I'm not happy with them and I don't like them, I go back and I remember, wait, I love them. Wait, I'm glad I had those kids. Wait, I'm glad I married this woman. That that the love and the relationship is deeper than whatever feeling I might feel at the moment. I'm not going to drift away and, and be mad at my family. I'm going to reel myself back in and hold to the anchor of family. It's the same with Jesus Christ. He's worth holding on to. And when you don't feel like being a Christian, that's when you need to take a harder grip, pay attention to what he's done in your life and who he is, and reel yourself back into that anchor. That's when he's going to move in your life. Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope that we have is a strong and trustworthy anchor. It's tried and true. It's not like a gamble. It's not like maybe I should try Jesus. It's like he's the only one. It says he's an anchor for our souls. He leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. When I do things God's way and don't let go of the rope, sometimes it's hard still. I got to admit that. Being a Christian is hard. Being in a relationship with people, it's hard. You got to work at it. You got to be intentional. It's a couple confrontations I had to have with 
people recently in my life. You could call them conflict or confrontation. Either way, it's not fun, right? And the, the thing about my job is it's not about pushing pencils and paperwork. It's about people's lives. It's about having meetings. It's about talking to people. It's about relationships. And so it's, it's always changing, and you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's amazing, and sometimes you get to have hard talks with people. Well, I walked into some of these talks going, I, I don't want to have these talks. God, these are not fun talks. And you know what? Honestly, I don't think this is going to benefit me. Uh, this is going to be terrible. I, I feel like I'm going to get hurt more. I don't want to have this talk. And then I talked to other, some, a couple other people who go, I wish you wouldn't have to have that talk. I wish you wouldn't have to go in there because it's probably going to hurt. I know, but I don't want to. I, you know, I don't want to do this thing. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And they say, but if God's in it, then you should do it. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't qualify it with God. Just tell me I shouldn't do it because then that allows me to let go of the rope and drift away on my own, right? And not do what he tells me to do. But I realize that if I hold on to him, it's going to be hard sometimes. I've got to weather the storms. And I walked into those confrontations. And what actually happens is it's a little bit rough in there. But when, when he's with me and I'm doing what he called me to do and everything in my life, including that confrontation, is under the house and covering of God, then I walk out of that conversation and I, I found freedom. And I found like I got that off my chest. I spoke truth. I didn't blow up. That It's okay. It was really hard. But... The Holy Spirit is moving in me. I have freedom. I have healing. I have closure. I can walk away knowing that I went into something I didn't want to go into, but I held on to Jesus, and I have victory now. And, and that's an awesome place to be, is when you learn to trust him and anchor your life to him, not on your emotions, but you just hold on, and you just don't drift. And I got a challenge for you guys this week. I want you to do something. We've been trying to give you guys challenges and a little homework every, every week because I don't think it's enough to go to church and just listen and walk away because you don't always, you know, respond and you don't apply it all. Here's my, here's my challenge for you this week. Would you write down a list of proof in your life that God is tried and true? Would you personally write down some instances in your life why you know it's worth it to hold on to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about write down the healings you've experienced. Write down maybe the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving in your life when you had words for people and you gave them and you don't know where that came from, a word of knowledge for someone or someone spoke a word of prophecy that came true in your life or you were healed miraculously or you saw a life change when you got saved. You went from being this person to this person and it's unexplainable, undeniable. My God is worth holding on to. Write down a list this week of those things. And then here's what I want you to do. Share it with someone you trust because there's going to come a time and a place when you begin to drift and you need that person to come along in your life and go, hey, remember all the things that you spoke to me about that God's real in your life? Remember all the things you shared with me, how he is your tried and true, trustworthy anchor for your soul? You need to be reminded of those things. It'll help prevent us from drifting. So write that stuff down. Share it with someone else. Is that a good word this week? Let's bow our heads and let's just, let's pray. God, we thank you for being that tried and true anchor for our souls, Lord. We thank you that you never fail us, Lord. We do drift. Man, we drift, and it's easy. It's easier than we think it is. We lose sight sometimes. It's kind of just in small ways, Lord. Maybe the words we use kind of stop glorifying you and start to get into to selfish talk or gossiping about other people, or maybe it's the fact that we just, we stop reading our Bible, stop getting fed, and we think we know enough, or maybe we just stop coming around church or other Christians, we fall out of fellowship, or whatever it is, like just bad decisions that we make, we think we can handle on our own when really we need your wisdom and your guidance. Whatever it is that causes us to drift, Lord, would you make us aware of that? 
Help us to pay attention to what we have in you, that you're proven, tried, and true. Lord, all we have to look at is the people that know you in our lives. We look at the Bible. We look at our own lives that, that verify that you're a good God and you're worth holding on to. God, help us to get a stronger new grip on the anchor for our souls. Help us to look and see those areas in life that are not structured around Jesus Christ and help us to gain control of those. And I want to pray a prayer right now as we're, we're continuing to pray. Most of the sermon here, to be honest with you, was for Christians. So we've already got a grip on the anchor and we might lose it. So be careful. But there may be a select few in the house that you don't even have a relationship with God. I mean, that you know of really. That you may not even really confidently be able to say that you are a Christian, that you're anchored to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you know it flat out. You came today and you're like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm looking for something. That's why I came to church today. But maybe you understand that after today's sermon that you really need to do how you really do need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You do need to make him your anchor. You do need to have something to hold on to that's bigger and better than you and this life that you perceive around you. And if you're at a place in life right now where you're ready to take a step towards Jesus and to say, I want to be a Christian. I'm ready to take that step of faith to allow him to move into my life and to do incredible things and that, that his plans are always best for me and I don't have to worry about consequences and missing out on his blessing if I tie my anchor to him. If that's what you want to do this morning and to, to make a decision just to dedicate in your heart that you want to have a relationship with him, I would love to pray with you right here and right now just to walk you into that relationship with God who will never leave you or forsake you, who's got your best intentions in mind and wants to bless your life who will will speak and will do things to change you and to show that he's real, to give you proof to better your life and to better your eternity. And if you'd like to to make that commitment this morning, all you got to do is say a simple prayer because it's really the cry of your heart. It's the decision you make in your heart and then you walk out that decision all the days of your life. But I want to say a prayer with you for you and how we're going to do it is I'm going to pray the words out loud and I'm just going to ask you to pray them along with me in your heart of hearts. God judges us on our hearts. He knows that sometimes talk is cheap and so we're not going to speak it out. I'm just going to ask you to pray it in your heart. After service, you can go and you can go be accountable to other people and let them know, I pray that prayer. I'm a Christian. But right here, right now, we're going to make this a hard issue between you and God. So I'm going to pray some words out loud. You make it the prayer of your heart and God's going to do something incredible. But before we pray that prayer, I'm going to ask one thing. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to pray that prayer with me to say, I want to be a Christian today. I dedicate my life to God. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to see what he can do with my life as I anchor it to him. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask if that's your prayer, would you raise your hand and hold it high enough so that I can see it? Ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand and then we'll pray. I see one hand here. I see two. I see three right there. Thank you, Father God. Looking around. Is there anybody else? I see four over there. Five. Thank you, Father God. Six. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for those hands. Okay, go ahead and put your hands down if that was you. And this is a big deal here. This is a This is a deal that... This is an agreement you're making with God for all of eternity. There's a responsibility on your part to honor the words that that I'm about to pray for you, that you're going to speak in your heart to God. This is big. This changes everything. So I want you to take this seriously in your heart right now and just kind of pray the words I pray out loud. You make it your heart's cry right now. God, I come before you right now, Lord, and I realize there's more to life than the way I've been living. That you are a God that created me, that loves me, and that you want relationship with me. You want to give me the best life possible, not just here on earth, but throughout eternity. Lord, I believe that the plan that you gave 
to keep me connected to you was Jesus Christ, that Jesus, your son, came down as a man. He taught about you. He told us how to live. He did the miracles to prove he was the son of God, but that he was also a human. He, he lived his life without sin, but he was punished, and he went to the cross, and he died a criminal's death, though he had done nothing wrong. I believe, Lord, in that plan that what you're saying is your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins to take the place of my sin and death and guilt and shame. He died for me. So, Lord, as he died for me to take the place for me, I understand that on the third day he actually rose again from the dead to prove that he is God, that he has power over death, over sin, over my separation from God the Father and his best for my life. So, Lord, I receive that plan that Jesus died for me and I receive the sacrifice he, he paid to buy me back, to bring me into a relationship with you. And Lord, from this day forward, as I believe that, I will live a life of belief in you. Lord, I'll anchor my life to you. I'll follow you all of my days, knowing that I get to see you in heaven for all of eternity. And that you're going to be moving in my life starting now through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm all in. Everything you got for me, I want it starting now. Lord, I commit to being in relationship with you through prayer, through reading the Bible, through going to church, through getting baptized. Lord, through receiving the power of your Holy Spirit, everything you have for me, Lord, my answer is yes. Thank you for what you did to bring me back into relationship with you. I promise to follow you all of my days. Thank you for loving me. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Let's praise God for those people that raised their hand this morning. And really quickly, if that was you, you just made the best decision of your eternity. I mean, that changed, literally changed everything right now. I hope you don't take it lightly. I hope you go home and you're stoked to learn more, to find out what this life is all about. Your first step that you can take would be to go through those side doors right over here after service, after our last song, and go to the Connect Center. People want to give you a Bible, some information about our church, when the next baptism is, which is going to be at the beach, by the way. We know we're actually moving all of our baptisms to the beach from here on out. Never mind this stuff in the car. We're going big. We're going to the beach every time. Anyway, we got a baptism you can sign up for, a new believers class, all that good stuff, if that's you. Um, if you came here with prayer and you're someone sitting here right now and you say this, I've drifted. I've drifted away from my walk with Jesus Christ and I need some help getting back. Go to that prayer team because they are more than happy to partner with you and to pray and to get you back on track with God. So take advantage of the prayer team that's there. Um, for the rest of us, would you guys stand all here together? Can we do that? And let's sing one last song of praise to our God.